today, and it's on intimacy. Uh, and today we'll, we'll describe that even a little bit more uh, specifically. Today we're going to be talking about sex. Uh, and so we're going to be handling some mature topics over the next three weeks. Um, but uh, I'll say this. We're going to be handling mature topics like mature Christians. Um, but if you're a guest here today and you didn't know this, you feel a little bit blindsided, like, what? What? We came to church on this week? Uh, and, you know, we get it. I apologize. It's not like this every week. All right? We are still going to talk about Jesus. Okay? Um, but if you're uncomfortable with your kids being a part of this discussion, we totally understand. Um, you can go ahead and take them to our children's church now. We will have volunteers in the lobby, so if you don't know where your kids need to go, they'll direct you to the right place. Uh, and if you want to take them there now, that's totally fine. Um, but, uh, and, and don't worry, you'll have a couple of seconds. We're not going to like immediately jump into the, to the crazy stuff. I do want to start with a, uh, with a story. I heard a story this week about a couple from San Jose, California, and they were remodeling their house. And they got to the master bathroom, and they decided they wanted to remodel that as well. And they started tearing out the wallpaper and the drywall, and they saw a message that the previous owners had left nailed to a two-by-four in the wall. And, and let me read this message to you. It says, Hi, we're the Shinsekis. We remodeled this bathroom in the summer of 1995. If you're reading this, it means that you're remodeling again. What's wrong with the way we did it? <laughs> you know, we can laugh about that. It's funny. I can imagine me writing that note and putting it in a wall. Uh, but I think if we sat down with God and we were having a conversation about sex, what he would have to say to us is, What's wrong with the way I designed it? What's wrong with the way I designed it? And we hear a lot of different things when it comes to sex. Outside the church, we hear all different kinds of things about sex. And maybe something like this. The more sex you have with as many different people as you want, the more satisfied you'll be. We hear things like sexual freedom leads to greater freedom. It, it doesn't. Can I just tell you, it, it doesn't. It doesn't lead to equal treatment and mutual respect between genders. Instead, it leads us down uh, more and more down a path that says women are just objects that exist for a man's pleasure. And all the while, God's saying, what's wrong with the way I designed it? And we get it wrong in the church, too, if I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you this morning. We get it wrong in the church, too. Sometimes you'll hear, sex is only for having children. It's only for having children. That's its only purpose. It's not. Or maybe this. This is probably the, the more common mantra. Maybe you grew up hearing this. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Sex is shameful. We just repeat that over and over and over again to our kids and young adults. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Sex is shameful. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Sex is shameful. Save it for the one you love. You, you hear how crazy that sounds? Right? It's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Save it for someone you love. What? Well, maybe because I love them, I shouldn't do that with them. And so that's one way of thinking that we end up with. Or the opposite extreme, we tell our kids, sex is bad, sex is dirty, sex is shameful. And they're going, I'm pretty sure it's not. And so they rebel against the teaching of the church. We do get it right when we say save it for somebody you love, but it's important that we explain why. 
you save it for somebody you love. And so I want to attempt to address that question and several others today. But as we explain these wrong narratives, I can almost hear God saying, what's wrong with the way I designed it? So how did God design sex? How did he? Uh, let, me, let me be clear, okay? I'm not, I'm not advocating for, um, you know, doing whatever you want with whoever you want. This is, this is where we're going to start, and this is where we're going to finish our sermon. So make sure you get this next sentence down. God created sex for a man and a woman to enjoy within a marriage relationship. All right? There's a lot to be said there. God, God created it, first of all, for a man and a woman. Okay, that's not a sermon on the subject of homosexuality versus heterosexuality, but you know where I land based on that sentence. To enjoy within a marriage relationship. All right, so we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking that sentence. So first of all, God created sex. All right, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to summarize just a little bit, and then I'm going to land on a specific point here in a minute. The book of Genesis starts by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God created light, then he created water and dry land, he separated the two, then God created the sun and the moon, then God created fish and birds, after that comes all kinds of animals that live on dry land. God created all of these things. Then, then God said, let us make man. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small things that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply Right? Maybe if we had a different translation, verse 28 would say, Then God blessed them and said, Have sex, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Here's what we need to learn from this. There's a really simple point I'm going to make to you from Genesis chapter 1. Sex predates the fall. It predates the fall. That's a really simple point, but here's why that's important. God designed it. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a byproduct of sin entering the world. It was God's design from the beginning of creation. God designed sex. But I'll be honest, if, if the only passage we looked at uh, uh, about sex was this one, Genesis 1, we might conclude that it's only for having children. If this were the only passage in the Bible that talked about sex, it'd be a valid point. But the truth is, of all the passages in the Bible that discuss sex, this is the only one that talks about children. Let me take you to the very next one. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Why is this important? Well, a few reasons. First of all, the man and wife are united into one. Now, this isn't only talking about sex, but it's a part of the conversation. The real emphasis on verse 24 is the unity, the unity that a marriage creates, right? It creates an incredible bond of unity. And so, as we grow in our relationship, we grow in unity to the point where it's as if we share the same flesh, 
Let me explain to you why that's important, okay? This is a progression, and it, it leads to one another, right? So the more united we are, the more secure we are. And the more secure we are, the more intimate we are. The more united we are, the more secure we are. The more secure we are, the more intimate we are. Let me, let me show you a couple of different ways of applying that. I am secure that we are financially responsible and in this together in our relationship. I'm secure that we're on the same page in our faith. I'm secure that my wife loves me. And my wife is secure in the knowledge that I only have eyes for her. Right? And that leads to a greater level of intimacy because there's not things in between us. And our money doesn't come between us. Our faith doesn't come between us. Other people don't come between us. So because we have that security, we have a greater level of intimacy. There's not things between us. The more united we are, the more secure we are. The more secure you are, the more intimate you are. Take a look at the next verse. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both naked and they felt no shame. The more united we are, the more secure we are. The more secure we are, the more intimate we are. Now, here's where this becomes good news for us, especially if you're just beginning to navigate through this question of sexuality. I, I, I did some research this past week. You know what? You know what one of the biggest fears a young man has? Am I average? I'm going to state it more plainly for you, okay? We're mature. We can handle this. Are my sexual parts normal? That's one of the biggest fears a young man has. You know what one of the biggest fears a young woman has? Am I average? Are my sexual parts normal? And what we learn from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 is that to your husband, to your wife, you are perfect. You don't need to worry about what anybody else in the whole world thinks about you because to your husband, to your wife, you are perfect. That's God's design for sex. We mess this up, though, when we give ourselves to different people. Let's say before you meet your husband or your wife, you are uh, sexually active with somebody. Now all of a sudden, your spouse, your husband or your wife down the road is forced to wonder, how do I stack up against them? How do I compare with them? And all of a sudden, we're quite a bit less secure. And because we're less secure, we're less intimate. See how that affects that there? Because we're less secure, we have to wonder about how that person back in my past, uh, how, how I compare to them. There is somebody, not physically, but mentally, between you and your spouse. And because you're less secure, you're less intimate. We mess it up when we do that. Um, last thing I want to say on this subject. God didn't design us to have sex with a body. That's a weird-sounding sentence, isn't it? God didn't design us to have sex with a body. Here's what I mean. Uh, the way that we think about sex today is this. I like the way that person's body looks. Therefore, I want to have sex with them. Right? That's a pretty good cultural summation of sex. It's not how God designed it. Instead of simply judging a person based on their body or their physical appearance, God's design is that we get to know them 
deeply on a soul level, that we not just learn about their physical beauty or the characteristics that we say are culturally attractive, but that we learn about the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that they possess. And we become deeply, deeply attracted to them, not just on a physical level, but on a soul level as well. That's how God designed sex. And I gotta tell you, that's good news. That's important for so many different reasons. It's good news. Let me give you just two. First of all, it doesn't matter how physically attractive you are. It's just the way the world works. There's somebody better looking than you. Okay? So if the only, if the only criteria we have is that person's really attractive, that's going to work great until you go on vacation. And you're going to say, wow, I've never seen that person before. They're even more attractive. I'm done with you. Right? If our only criteria is physical attraction, that's a terrible criteria. Let me give you a second reason why this is such good news. Um, we get older, and age has this kind of um, terrible way of working on us. Let me give you an example. I know a guy, he's in ministry. He used to be not as old as he is now. And he used to weigh 190 pounds, solid muscle, long curly hair. Girls liked it. He's not that now. Okay? He's balding prematurely. Um, and, and, well, he doesn't weigh 190 pounds anymore. So age, time has this, this, this funny way of, of working on us. And if our physical attractiveness was the only uh, requirement that we had, that's going to get messy quickly. It's going to get bad quickly. There's not going to be any sort of commitment very quickly. Wouldn't it be wonderful wouldn't it be wonderful to know that your spouse is more attracted to you? Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that your spouse is more attracted to your soul, to the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that you exude, your personality? Wouldn't it be wonderful to know if your spouse was more attracted to you than they are your appearance? I was doing some reading for this series and I stumbled across an article that really exemplifies this idea of biblical intimacy. I want to share it with you. There's a couple. They just celebrated their 52nd wedding anniversary. Uh, about a week after that, the wife is suddenly completely blinded. The doctors can't figure out what it is. They don't know what's going on with her. Um, but, but they can't figure out why she immediately and very quickly becomes blind. After the initial shock, one of the first things the husband does is he enrolls in cosmetology classes. He said, I want to be able to put on my wife's makeup for her and help her still feel beautiful. In an interview with the local news, the, the wife was asked how she felt about that, and she said, all these years, I thought it was my makeup that made me beautiful. Turns out it was my man. That's God's design for Intimacy. Doesn't that sound better than being attracted to a body? Doesn't that sound better? God created sex for a man and a woman to enjoy within a marriage relationship. That's the first part. God created sex. It's his idea. It's his design. Satan didn't invent it, okay? He didn't come along and invent it after the fall. Satan didn't invent sex. God did, but Satan has perverted it. He really has. He's done a good job of perverting this idea of sex. 
He said, have sex with as many people as you want whenever you want. Have sex with a body that you find attractive. And when you do, you'll enjoy sex to its fullest extent. The opposite's true. If we approach it that way, what we'll find is that we're ultimately more self-conscious and less able to enjoy real intimacy. Less able to enjoy real intimacy. And God wants us to enjoy intimacy. He wants us to enjoy intimacy. Let me say it another way. God wants us to enjoy sex. That was God's design. I mean, I'm not just saying all this because it's my opinion. Let me show you from the Bible, okay? Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Some of you are going, oh no. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. We're going to read the first 15 verses. You are beautiful, my darling. Beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile's flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle, grazing among the lilies before the dawn breezes blow." and the night shadows flee. I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sinair and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and the leopards live among the hills. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard and saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes and every other lovely spice. You're a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. We all okay? Okay. Can I just make an observation here? This is a real simple observation. There's not a whole lot of practical biology going on in that passage, okay? Not reproductive science. This is just two people who love each other and enjoy each other. Make everybody else uncomfortable, right? If you were on a bus next to these people, you'd get off on the next stop. (laughs) All right, now guys, listen up. There's another simple observation here. I would not advise that you use any of these verses to compliment your wife. Okay, Uh, Your teeth are like freshly sheared sheep, (laughs) nicely washed. You know what he's saying is, hey, baby, you got all your teeth. I like that. (laughs) Okay? All right, your hair, your hair is like a flock of goats. (laughs) Elsewhere in the Song of Solomon, he says, your belly is like a heap of wheat. (laughs) Listen, guys, do not. Do not write that in your Valentine's Day card. 
But here's what I want you to see from this passage. This couple found sex enjoyable. They loved each other. They were intimate and they enjoyed it. They enjoyed it because they loved each other intimately. Matt Chandler is a preacher that I like to listen to. And on this passage, he had this to say. And I love this. He said, become an expert on all the things that you love about your spouse. Become an expert on all the things that you love about your spouse. As humans, we're wired to be critical. It's easy for us to identify faults, but if we're going to enjoy sex the way God intended us to, one of the most important things we can do is become an expert, become intimately acquainted, become an expert on all the things that we love about our husbands or our wives. I'm going to show you one more passage and then we're going to move on. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. It sounds to me like this message that's being conveyed is that sex is enjoyable. You see the word captivated there? Right? He says, he says um, may you always be captivated by her love. In Hebrew, that's the same word to describe being drunk. It's kind of an interesting word choice, isn't it? It's a powerful picture. What does alcohol do? It lowers a person's inhibitions. We all know that alcohol lowers person's inhibitions, right? It makes you feel like you're Superman. But what Solomon is saying here is that marriage, when a couple is intimate and committed to each other, you can lower your guard naturally and freely and be completely exposed to one another, not fearing what somebody else thinks. You lower your guard. You're not just naked. You are completely exposed to them. Beautiful word picture. I don't know about you, but that sounds so much better than a one-night stand or what we see portrayed as important and sexually gratifying. That's the kind of intimacy that you can enjoy, you can enjoy over the course of a lifetime. That's the kind of intimacy that's only going to grow stronger as you grow more intimate together. How many of you remember Ann Landers? Just give me a show of hands. Okay. Uh, if, if you don't know her, um, she had a relationship advice column. And every once in a while, she'd print a letter that captures the beauty of marriage. I stumbled across this one. And uh, first of all, I think it's hilarious. But it's also so perfect as it describes this idea of intimacy growing stronger over time. Here's the letter. Dear Anne, last weekend we celebrated my parents' 50th anniversary. This morning, they left on a week-long trip to Hawaii. They were excited as if they were on their honeymoon. You see, when my parents were married, they had only enough money for a three-day trip just 50 miles from home. They made a pact that each time they were intimate together, they would put a dollar in a special metal box that they would save for their 50th anniversary trip to Hawaii. Mom was a school teacher and dad was a policeman. Raising five children was a challenge and sometimes money was short. But dad, no matter what the emergency was, no matter what came up, dad would not let mom take any money out of the Hawaii box. My parents were always very much in love and I can remember dad coming home some night saying, I've got a dollar in my pocket. And mom would smile at him and say, I know just how to spend it. (laughs) 
When us kids were married, mom and dad gave each other a small metal box and they told us their secret. Mom and dad never told us how much money they managed to save, but it must have been considerable because they had enough for airfare to Hawaii, hotel accommodations for 10 days, and lots of spending money. Think about that. Never mind. Before they boarded the plane, dad winked at us and said, tonight we're starting a new account for Cancun. This is a couple, this is a couple that has enjoyed, has learned to enjoy sex together, has learned to enjoy being intimate with each other over the course of their lifetime. God created sex for a man and a woman to enjoy within a marriage relationship. We talked about how God created sex. We've talked about how he created it to be enjoyable. I want to I hit one more point just briefly today. Why is it important that we keep it within a marriage relationship? I'll start with some scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 15. Paul says this, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. We read that in Genesis. You see where it says a man joins himself to a prostitute and he becomes one with her? Uh, Paul uses the, the language, the example of a prostitute there because uh, prostitution was big business in Corinth. Okay, uh, there was, It was a sexually satiated culture and, and so that was just a common part of life. He uses that as an example. Uh, but if we look past that word, Paul has an important point for all of us. What Paul is saying uh, is that sex is more than just a physical act. It's more than just a physical act. It's mental. It's emotional. It's spiritual. Ultimately, it boils down to this. Sex touches the soul. Sex touches the soul. And that can be really beautiful or that can be really dangerous. See, we can hurt ourselves in ways that don't damage our souls. When I was younger, uh, I was playing baseball, and uh, one day in practice, I took a ball right to the face, hit me right on the bridge of the nose. It hurt. It hurt bad. Uh, My dad's here today. He can remember taking me to the emergency room that day. Had to get x-rays. Turns out everything was okay with me, and, and it was fine, but it hurt bad. It was swollen for a while. I had black eyes on both sides. And, and I remember how badly it hurt. But today, I have no lasting damage from that injury. I don't worry how I'm going to relate to people because of that injury. I don't have any lingering pain because of that injury. I don't have any self-worth issues because of that injury. But when we talk about sex, it's absolutely possible for a person to experience soul damage. And I'm not just talking about somebody who's been raped or sexually abused. Obviously, that hurts deeply, and we don't want to minimize that pain. But it hurts others deeply as well. I'm talking about somebody who maybe thought they were in love, had sex with somebody only to find out that it meant nothing to them. I'm talking about somebody who just wanted to have that uninhibited sex like we see on TV, and they woke up feeling dirty. And that's not the kind of pain that you're just going to get over like a baseball to the nose. It's a lingering pain that creates insecurity and self-consciousness and anxiety. Sex touches our souls. When we handle it God's way, it's one of the most beautiful gifts God has given us. 
When we try to handle sex any other way, it's one of the most hurtful and dangerous things we can experience. I know that some of you understand how hurtful it can be. And here's what I need you to know. If you understand how hurtful and damaging sex handled the wrong way can be, I need you to know this. Nobody in here has outsinned the grace of God. Have all of us sinned? Yeah, absolutely. Some of us sexually, but all of us have sinned. And if you're feeling broken and hurt because of some past sexual pain that you just can't seem to get over that's hurting in your soul, let me just remind you of something beautiful. Jesus doesn't promise to fix our old lives. He promises to give us a new life. See, he's not going to fix that old sexual pain. He is going to completely heal it by giving you a new life, a new heart, a new spirit within you. Nobody in here has outsinned the grace of God, and there is healing for you today. So if sex isn't something that you've handled in a godly way, I want to invite you to repent of it. I want to invite you to experience God's forgiveness, and I want to invite you to forgive yourself today. If you need to do that, you can come forward and we can talk about it. Or if you don't want to come forward at the end of this service, you can find me and we'll talk about it after church. But right now, let's stand and sing together. Let's sing praises to God because he has promised to give each of us a new life.